Everything I'm about to tell you is considered code black by the NSA. USAC intercepted a radio transmission from a decaying orbit around Neptune. The source of this transmission has been identified as the event horizon. folks welcome to the man cave movie review the podcast that reviews the good the bad and the ugly of movies for men this is episode 129 and today we're going to be talking about event horizon this great and fantastic film stars Lawrence fishburne sam neill jason isaacs kathleen quinlan and jolie richardson i am your host steve michaels and joining me is my very good and dear friend mark someone keep an eye out for muncie slower you know, I really was hoping we'd see Insane Clown Posse in this movie because I needed some stupidity and humor that was um, sorely lacking. Well, the stupidity part was there, but the humor was sorely lacking that Insane Clown Posse brought to the movie Prometheus that I wish was in this movie. Ah, I can see where you're going with this, but we'll talk about it. And also joining us is our other good and dear friend, Ken. They told me there would be no Latin in this movie. Roni. Well, this movie takes me back to those carefree, relaxed days of my first semester of law school. I'd been watching the trailers of the movies and saw this coming out and talked to Mark and said, hey, Mark, let's go see this movie. You know, it looks sort of like a, a, a darker version of 2001, maybe Aliens or something. I mean, let's go see what it is. I mean, the visuals, I mean, the trailers look pretty good. So we did. We went down to, I can tell you, Circle Center Theater, went in on a nice, bright day, I walked out a few hours later saying, what the f*** was that? <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying that because of the podcast. I'm saying that is what we said. We both, we both sort of just looked at each other, yeah. like simultaneously. Like, Whoa. <clears throat> All right. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying it was something. So we'll talk about it. It's a, it's something. actually, it's not that unusual of a movie once you sort of understand what they're trying to do but right that's what i gotta say all right and ladies and gentlemen introducing our newest member oh i'm sorry he's not our newest member he's actually one of our original members but he's been he's been delayed from attending the podcast because he's been attending matters of state our other very good dear friend and favorite penny on the rail jeff baby bear muncie to quote miller from this movie vacate I went off this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, considering how often you're on anymore. I, <laughs> it's nothing personal, but take the hint. Wow. I, I've only missed. Look, buddy, I was, I, I was on a good run there. I think I was five in a row, and I missed one. I missed one. Like the old classic Scottish joke punchline. You but missed you one one goat. <laughs> you missed one podcast. <laughs> Labeled for life. Golly. Well, we we only harass the people we love. Right? You only har- you only harass the deserving. Well, <clears throat> well, and and if there's anybody more deserving, it's Jeff. Well, I, I resemble that remark. <clears throat> well, that's true. All right, folks, we're going to be talking about Event Horizon, and this is uh, installment number two of the. What we try to say is the man cave, scary movie, 
for Halloween month since October is Halloween month. So we're going to do Event Horizon. And, Mark, I believe you recommended this, and uh, I do appreciate it because, personally, I, I kind of like this movie. I'll, I'll get into my defense what I can later on, but it was a 1997 movie. This is definitely what I would classify as sci-fi horror, which, personally to me, is about the only type of horror movies that I would say fall into the man cave category, my personal opinion. So anyway, like I said, I think mostly sci-fi horror kind of falls into the man cave category because these movies aren't your typical, uh, you know, the horror movies. It's, you know, the, you know, you know, six teenagers out in the cabin in the woods and they get slashed by a slasher. That's not what these kind of movies are like. So I, I do, and I'm not a horror fan, horror movie fan. I mean, there's a few out there I think are pretty good, but they're not my go-to movies. But if it's a horror movie set in in space or something like that, I'm all in because it to me it, I like that stuff. It's it's sci-fi, and and if you bring the horror element into it, that's pretty cool. <clears throat> Guys, before we get too far into this great and fantastic film, I'm going to give everybody the Man Cave Movie Review intro. Gentlemen, this is going to be a long one, so just bear with it, okay? In the year 2047, a deep space rescue crew investigates a spaceship that disappeared into a black hole and has returned with someone or something new on board. You're just too good to be true. Can't take my eyes off of you. Deb will be uh, singing at the Red Velvet Lounge at the Holiday Inn uh, at Route 42 uh, between State Road 69, the one right by the truck stop. So uh, tip your waiters well, folks. You two have fun doing this, you know, preparing, think, don't you? I tell you, they were going to be kicked off the show so they can spend their their time putting their own show together. You guys going to do your all music review? Oh, my God, that's like Bill Murray singing Star Wars. So anyway. Uh, <laughs> wow. Wow. <God. laughs> How much liquor did it take to get her brave enough to go do that? Actually, it was her idea. Oh my gosh! Oh my God. Did she recently suffer a blow to the head? No, <laughs> no. I you got to remember, my wife's uh, ever since she's been doing the some of the intros on this, she actually comes up with some pretty creative ideas. And because uh, when she asked what we were doing, I said, "Oh, Event Horizon." She goes, "Oh, that's the one where they ripped their eyes out." And I'm like, "Yeah, that, that's it. That that's what we're gonna do." And then you know, a little bit later, she's like, "Hey, I got an idea." I'm like, oh, I, I, <laughs> She wakes you up in the middle of the night. Steve, Steve, <laughs> yeah. I've got an idea I want to share with you. Actually, you I, think about this? actually, I was in the bathroom. She was pounding on the door and said, when you're done, come out here. 
So she, she in two hours when you come out here, I'm, I need so, to talk to you. So she found the uh, she found a karaoke of that Frankie Valley song, and she said, "Here, I should sing this because you know, can't take my eyes off you. Get it? Yes. And I yeah, looked, we, I, I looked at her. I went, fun. I that's why I married this woman. Yeah. So anyway, I think the, the the listeners might be getting the subtle clue that there's a lot of eyeball plucking in this movie, and there really isn't. Just a couple instances, but it's because, noticeable. Because it's, it's it's so usual. Well, you know, the thing of it is, when you say there's a couple, I mean, more than one is a lot in most movies. <laughs> so, <laughs> considering I could right. count on about four that you've seen it happen, it's like, I think, well, okay. So, anyway, folks, that's... <laughs> I'm sure we've lost half the podcaster at this point. They're like, what the hell are they talking about? So anyway, it's uh, it's Event Horizon. I mean, I don't know, guys. I I kind of like this movie. I've got some issues with it, obviously. But I think for this particular genre, it, it's, it's pretty decent, I think, as sci-fi horror goes. I mean, I'm not going to rank it up there with, you know, obviously like Alien or uh, and gosh, I don't even know if I put the thing in sci-fi horror. I guess you can, but uh, it's sci-fi horror. Yeah, yeah it, it is. is. It's sci-fi horror. Okay, and but but I th- I I think the concept here was really good. Uh, I like the story. Excuse me. I like the story. I think the story holds up re- pretty well. But yeah, there were parts of this movie that just seemed to kind of fall apart, or or certain scenes and, and Mark, you and I kind of emailed a little bit offline. It it seemed like the characters, a lot of them were just, I I mean, were just tropes. I mean, right off the, all of them. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say all of them. Anyway, like I said, initial thoughts, uh, I'll go last, you know, Jeff, since you've, uh, since you've been tardy, I have an excused pass from the doctor. Oh, okay. Well, why don't you proceed? What, what well, are your initial thoughts? Thank you, Steve. My initial thought. Uh, so this was sort of a fresh viewing for me. I haven't probably seen this in in, uh, in about 15 years. I don't think I went to the movies to see it. I may have. I didn't have the same visceral reaction I think you guys did You know, from seeing it. Because in general, I don't really care for horror movies to begin with. So for me, I, I, I kind of had a general disdain for it. But... That's just because I have a general disdain for most horror movies. Um, I didn't. I don't. I think I knew what I was getting into the first time I saw it. Um, I don't think. I, I think I knew that it wasn't like a sci-fi movie. Um, so when I left the theater, I don't think I was saying what Ken was saying, but it was. It, it still left a um, an unpleasant taste in my mouth. I do like the premise of the movie. I think the premise is solid. This fresh viewing that I had when I watched it yesterday, the first thing I took away from it now that it's been, gosh, was it 17 years since it's been out, highly impressed with the CGI in this movie. The the visuals in it, I thought, were really good. The other thing that I liked, I did like the music that they used in the movie, and I thought the music was very appropriate, and I, I do feel like it got me, it kept me into the movie at times. Um, when I could have easily backed out of it. But one of the biggest glaring spots in the movie is um, is the antagonist in the movie. I just had a tough time buying that actor in that role. And to me, that that put this movie 
sideways for me because I couldn't get into that specific actor. Now, some of the other actors, I mean, when you have Lawrence Fishburne on the screen, I mean, I can't get enough of Lawrence Fishburne anyway. So, you know, I really enjoyed, and I liked his attitude and persona on the screen. I really liked his character. A lot of the other characters, except for Peters, who was played by Kathleen Quinman, um, just, well, there is Richard T. Jones, but, um, and I'll talk, I'll speak to him later, and Jason Isaacs. <laughs> uh, if we were going to talk, we, we, tell me, tell me, Steve, we're going to have, like, if we recast this movie today, who would be in these horrible roles? Um, you know, I, I, I like that idea. Well, let's do that. Let's talk about that a little bit just, later. I think that's a I can brilliant t- idea. Yes. I can tell you who would Hollywood would put in his role, and it would make this movie even more horrible. But I'll get into that later, because I, I tell you who it will be. Um, but... When I left this movie last night, besides the fact I had to get the, the freak factor off of me because I don't like these movies, I didn't hate watching it again. Um, I actually enjoyed seeing it again and like viewing the movie for what it was because the camera work and stuff we'll get into. Just the, just the, the, the movie itself, I enjoyed. The premise, I enjoyed. The character and the, some of the story and the way that it progressed – yeah, it it, it kind of it it definitely take dries off the road for a little bit, but um, I'm anxious to hear what the three of you have to say. Mark, go ahead. Oh, me next. All right. Um, I'm like Ken said. We both went in to see it and kind of knew it was going to be some sort of thriller in space. Uh, really, and Jeff, you mentioned something that really jumped out at me for 1997. Really like the special effects. Um, really like the visual effects, um, and then it externally, and then we get in the ship, and then it becomes gothic horror meets H.P. Lovecraft meets stupid, um, with a lot of the interior stuff, especially everything to do with engineering, because you know we have to have water and um, baroque metallic rings for some such, and lots of spikes for whatever reason. And I'm like you. I like most of the actors. I think Sam Neill, who I'm a huge fan of ever since Riley Ace of Spies, he could have – I like him. It's just this is not the movie for him. Someone else needed to be cast in that role. There are some really great character actors here. Uh, Sean Pertwee um, uh, and um, – oh, who's uh, – and Jason Isaacs, two, two very good character actors. And, of course, you mentioned Lawrence Fishburne. And I'm like you, Richard T. Jones. He, to me, is what, um, oh, God, who was it from uh, The Thing? Uh, who, Keith David. Yes. He, he reminded me of Keith David in, in some respects in that in this movie, but for different reasons. But I just like that character. Um, you know, it, it, it does what it, – then it goes off the rails and becomes your typical horror movie. And we've discussed this before. You've got smart – people supposedly trained this is a search and rescue team who immediately go and do all the dumb shit that um scooby-doo and the rest of the mystery machine goes off and does including splitting up in the first 10 minutes they get on the ship every stock trope of a character is in here every stock trope of a horror movie let's split up that's what really bothered me about this movie is you have an, an interesting premise about going to another dimension, which turns out to be hell or its derivative. You you have some interesting ways to play the psychological drama. 
um, that could have made this movie very Hitchcockian, and instead they went for the the the, the horror blood factor that really doesn't hold up. There's some really dumb ways that they develop that. It could have been a really intelligent psychological thriller that creeped you out because there are some creep out moments, but this in was not in the hands of a director who could pull that off. Instead, he went for, um, let's just do uh, Freddy in space after a fashion. Um, and so the first third of the movie is really interesting, and then it slowly trails off into um, Ten Little Indians, and let's just let's whack the crew with a not necessarily very compelling or very scary um, antagonist, whether it's the ship or or the character played by Sam Neill. So it's not a bad movie, and it's better in some respects than Prometheus because I didn't have the high expectations I did for Prometheus. It, it just falls into those all those tropes at the back end when it didn't have to, and that's really a shame because there's some really good character actors and some nice production values and some interesting tension that could have been explored, kind of what The Thing did. And, you know, The Thing had a lot of horror genre gross out, but it had a lot of psychological thriller that this movie chose not to do. Um, and I think that it suffers because of that. Okay, Ken, your thoughts? I'm going to come down similarly to, you know, both Mark and Jeff. I mean, I got my own take on this. A thing that... Uh, when we, when Mark and I saw this years back, and we were talking about it, a few things still hold up, and I, I still stand by it. One is, my com, I, I think it was me back then, might have been Mark, but basically we'll go again. What is this movie? And then we, it's, it's Hellraiser in space. Yep. There's a, there's a similarity to that. When I was doing my research to get ready for tonight's uh, podcast, I found out this thing was pitched as the shining in space and if you take that concept okay it's the shining it's in space yeah i see i, I see what they're trying to if that's what they're trying to get at they kind of did it so that gives me a, a different take on it i also know that uh, anderson the director and again you know we'll talk about him a little bit later i think uh He's done a lot, you know, done a lot of movies we like. Uh, this is Paul W.S. Anderson. Uh, he wanted to pile on even more gore and violence and all, and they, they made him cut it out. He was he still to this day says, well, no, it should have been in there. But I'm sort of with Mark. This thing, without troweling on the gross-out parts, it still could have been a very scary movie because it's very successful in a lot of ways. But then it does, I mean, if you're if you're going to go to a horror movie and you're going to get upset because okay the people split up and you know do do some stupid stuff and all well that's endemic in the uh, you know the genre I mean that's just, that's just what people do now a, a thing I want to mirror with Jeff is I think that the CGI and the visuals in this are very impressive you can say what you like about like the freaky engine room scenes and things like that. Uh, another thing I found out in my reading was that uh, something that they were going for is they were, they, they 
took aspects of Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris, the Gothic stonework and all, right. and used that as their inspiration. I thought that was interesting that that was what they were using. Uh, you know, if I was the designer of either of these ships, I would have said, hey, you know, we're instead of painting all the walls like charcoal gray, why don't we paint it a nice light pastel color that's bright and airy or something? Because, you know, this this is full of sets of dark corridors and dark rooms. It's like, it's, you know, throw, throw a bright coat of paint in there. Come on. Uh, minor peeve. Again, That's they're going for a look. They got the look. It is foreboding. I like the, you know, the thing I like, you know, I, I like science fiction. I like, uh, you know, space movies and all. I thought the ships were cool. Uh, I liked the, a lot of the detail. Like, I, I still remember to this day, this was like one of the first movies I saw that did, a, I thought, an excellent job of showing what a ship in zero gravity would look like. Where you have the, that scene where you got the, you know, solo cups and wrenches and bolts just sort of floating around, little blurbs of water. Yep. And it's just floating and banging into each other off and on. I thought that was a very cool scene. I thought that back then. I think it now, even though it's been done in other movies, it was a good concept. The production values were good. They put a fair amount of money in this movie. And I, I am going to you know, hype on a few of the characters. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne, like Jeff said, great actor, does an awesome job here. In a lot of ways, he's playing his uh, character from uh, The Matrix. He is the tough, experienced captain who's seen lots of bad stuff and wants to get his crew through safely. Sam Neill starts out I'm, I'm, it's all, I, when I, you're starting to watch this, you're going like, well, this, this, this is that guy from Jurassic Park. He played a scientist that like, you know, didn't understand what was going on in Jurassic Park and he's playing a scientist, doesn't understand what's going on here. Takes a different turn but that's where it started. Kathleen Quinlan, she's done a lot of good work. I liked her. I know why they did it but, you know, when when certain people in this movie come to an end, I mean, they, they, they sometimes it's dramatic and sometimes it's not. You know, my uh, odds and ends, I, I know we, I do say we need to talk a little bit more about uh, Anderson and his role, but we'll do that later as a group. When I went to watch this, I think like, oh, yeah, that's that movie we I saw like 15 years ago. And I, I don't remember, I wasn't that impressed with it back then. But I think it holds up. I think it's a solid movie for what it's trying to do. It's a space horror movie. There's not a lot of them. I mean, they're out there, but not a lot of them. And I think it's worth checking out. I'm not going to jump up and down and say it's awesome. And I've got to be fair to the listeners. This thing was a massive bomb. I mean, I'm actually amazed that Paul Anderson got work after this because it just went out and did nothing. I think Mark and I went and saw this and like the next, you know, on the first weekend and like the next weekend it was gone. It, it yeah. did not hang around. Well, you know, I let me jump in real quick, guys, because Go ahead. I'll, I'll you take over. Yeah, I I want to touch on a few things. Um, Jeff pointed them out, and I think you know there were two aspects of this movie that kind of stood out to me, and I kind of chuckled because Jeff, I I agree with you. I thought the music in this movie was really good. I, I thought it was really well done. And there was something else that you said that it it hit me, and I now I can't remember what the hell it is, but. One thing that you have all said that I, I've been sitting here just chuckling away 
is about uh, Sam Neill's character and how he just really didn't fit this particular role. And I think you guys have forgotten something. Sam Neill played the Antichrist in Omen 3. Well, first, let's let's take a step back here, sir. Um, I have never seen the Omen 3. I could could hardly get past the first one and said, I don't need to see the second one. And quite honestly, I don't even know if I knew there was a third one. Yeah. I never saw Omen 3. Yeah. He was. That would be why we didn't recognize it. (laughs) Are you telling me he, he knocked it out of the park in that one? Yeah. Well, I mean, he was pretty – well, let's put it this way. If you go watch it, it's not a bad movie. It, it's kind of the culmination of the whole the, – the birth and the growth of the Antichrist and, you know, what happens. I mean, to be is honest – Is he Damien? Yes, he's Damien. Oh, he's the gee, Antichrist. Christmas. That's Damien, what, Damien, I'm doing it all for you. Yeah, I'm just telling you. <laughs> so I'm just saying, when you guys were all talking about him, all you kept talking about was like, Dr. What's his name in Jurassic Park? I'm going, these Dr. Guys, Grant. Yeah, I'm like, oh, these guys obviously forgot. He he was uh, uh, he was making his name his uh, uh, Satan's son. So Where I knew him from was Riley Ace of Spies. Well, and that's where I first saw him. Yeah, well. Which is an awesome series. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, I just wanted to throw that out there because I just thought it was funny. Because I remember seeing that a long time ago. But I think in terms of this movie, and you know, and I'll tell you why this movie bombed. This movie bombed because it's sci-fi. I just still go back to the fact that unless you're doing Transformer movies or, I mean, if you made movies about vampires in space, it would probably bomb. They've done uh, it. No, unless they're sparkly. Here we go. I'm, I'm just saying sci-fi is, it, it's a niche thing. And like I said, it, unless it's Transformers or... I don't know, Godzilla or something, it, it, it's going to bomb. They just don't do well. And I think overall, I thought this movie was pretty good. I, I agree. I thought the CGI for 1997, pretty darn good. I mean, they didn't have a huge budget for this movie, uh, you know, compared to most. But, I, I, I mean, overall, I thought it was, it was pretty solid. Now, I – and like I said, yeah, I take exception to a, a few of the things that were done in the movie – I think the characters just had very, very little, I don't know, what's the word, charisma, character development. I don't know. I mean, Lawrence Fishburne, this guy has got, he just oozes charisma. And like Ken said, I mean, he was just pretty much, he was just pretty much channeling uh, his character from the Matrix. Shit. Morpheus. Yes. And I like his character. He's just that very calm, cool. He's got this very calming voice. He never loses his shit. He never starts screaming. He's just always very even keel. Most of the others, I like Jason Isaacs. I like his character. And for those of you who don't know who he is, if you've seen any of the Harry Potter movies, that is Lucius Malfoy. And uh, he's got some interesting backstory because he always plays that type of character. And he he's always like, I'm not like that at all. But he just has that persona and he pulls it off pretty well. And then Sean Pertwee, we saw him before when we did The Soldier, guys, if you remember. Yep. So he was in that. But I don't know. This is another movie by the same director. By the same director, exactly. And this is, I think, our third Paul W.S. Anderson movie. And he, um, I mean, one of the first movies that he did as a director was uh, 
uh, he did Mortal Kombat, and in fact, he turned down, I think, Mortal Kombat and a couple of other, I think he turned on an AVP or, no, I'm sorry, Alien Resurrection, and there was something else he turned down. X-Men. X-Men, to do this. So, uh, obviously, they had high hopes for this movie. I mean, it, you know, knowing what, you know, went into it, it should have been a success. But I think there are some defects in the script and just a story that chilled the audience. I mean, I'm not going to say it's sci-fi. Sci-fi movies do great. And this is space horror, for one thing. And it, I just think the word of mouth that came out of that first weekend or two when this opened wasn't that great. So it just sort of died off. Well, and I also think, and to, to couple with that, I mean, it was uh, a lot of the major reviewers at the time did not like this movie. No. Nope. So, so you get word of mouth, and the reviewers are out there giving it one or two stars. I mean, and and also, I mean, we've we've kind of tiptoed around it. Either way you go with this, it's a niche movie. It's a niche market. It's there's only certain people that are going to go and watch it, um, whether it's sci-fi or whether it's horror. You and 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 uh, they're not the same type of people that go and I I'm sorry I shouldn't say that I should say that uh, there tends to be different um the, I don't I don't see a lot of overlap in the taste buds for sci-fi and horror um I know a lot of sci-fi people out there that could care less about horror and I could I know a lot of horror fans out there that don't give two shits about sci-fi so. Either way, this is whenever you put something like this on the screen, unless it has Marvel or DC in front of it, you're taking a risk and a gamble. Well, I, I think you've hit something, Mark. I want you to comment on this. Hmm. Going back to what you know, we both said at the start. When I walked out of this movie, I felt that I had a bait and switch because I was led to believe that I was going into a sci-fi movie, and what I saw was a horror movie, and that. Again, that kind of freaked me out, turned me off, and left me kind of cold back then. Did you have the same? Do you remember the same feeling back then? Yeah, yeah, I did. And it was, I think part of it is also, um, this is just my take, but I'll be curious to see what your feedback is. You, we've talked about sci fi and horror. I think part of it had been because it, it didn't even get close in my mind to measuring up to two sci fi. Somewhat, I'll say both are sci-fi horror. One definitely is one you might argue with me. Movies that really do it really well and are obviously I'm biased. They're two of my favorites are Alien and The Thing. And I thought, okay, this one could be kind of like that in a different take. And it just, no, it just became a haunted house in space. No. It, you're right. Alien... It was famously pitched as a haunted house in space. Right. Uh, it was a horror movie, a space horror movie. But it comes off better in my mind by a long shot than this. Because I think Anderson just, he troweled, it was heavy-handed and troweled on gore and such. Yes. But, you know, Ken, you made a comment that really kind of hit home when you said, uh, when you did your research, that this was kind of being modeled off of The Shining in space, which, I mean, it was like, 
wow, how did I not see that? That's exactly what was happening because that, that is what it is. Yeah, it, it is, is the, the shining, shining in space. space. Yeah, absolutely, without a doubt. And it's and how I didn't see that before. Um, obviously, it's this damn pepper beer I've been drinking, but it, it's the it's the it's the it comes off as Hellraiser in space because of the troweling on the gore. Right. But yeah, but the shining aspect is there because that's what's really happening. I mean, this ship has basically, uh, we're well into the show, but I mean, it, it it's a... It, it's evil. Yeah, I mean, the ship basically is the, was designed to travel, fa- not travel faster than the speed of light, but basically bend time space, essentially create what they call either a black hole or a wormhole. Well, it, it went through... And then it came back years later, and no one's on board, and they don't know what happened. And rather than what you end up finding out, spoiler, folks, if you haven't seen it, it didn't go to Alpha Centauri. It went to uh, one of the seventh levels of hell. Hey, Steve. Yo. Can I jump in real quick and try and explain the drive system on this ship? Um, It creates a dimensional gateway. Using layman terms, user (laughs) magnetic field graviton. These in turn fold space-time consistent with the wild tensor dynamics until space-time curvature becomes infinitely large and you produce a singularity. Now, the singularity... Mark, Mark, Jeff, I yeah. want you to know that up in my attic in my traveler box, I've got <laughs> the buzzword generator. <laughs> I can pull that out and get some dice and I can do... I can sit here all night. And yeah, you're right. It's it's they got a lot of techno babble buzzword stuff, and it's it's just an excuse. It's a MacGuffin. They got to figure out a way to say how they got where they're at. I can't get all mad at them. It's a, again, it's a cool concept. It's not. It's that conceptually is not a bad thing. It's it is the execution, and for that, I don't blame the actors. I really lay it on the director because he decided he wanted to go all blood, blood and sturm and drong and gore, and he's even said, "Well, I wish I'd had. I wanted. Actually, it should have been more." Whereas a lighter touch would have really worked better. A psychological drama would have worked better. He could have still done it. And I, I I'll reference John Carpenter because John Carpenter really knew. Yes, there was a lot of gore, but well, look, look. He knew the psychological factor to really get you. There, there is a strong psychological fear element to this, and the core of that story is in there. But again, at times he overplays his hand, in my opinion. Yes, you guys have been, you know, taking uh, Anderson to task here. I, I, I just want to point out that I, <laughs> he's not the one that wrote the core story. He's the one that was brought in to shoot it, and so it, I'm not. I don't want to. I want to make sure we don't lay. I don't want to lay blame at Anderson's feet for this movie. He just took what was given to him and put an image to it. Now, my understanding is the writers and had had put in there a lot of extra gore. I mean, there were some, I guess, very graphic, graphic uh, scenes that um, test audiences and the the movie studio did not want. So a lot of that was was taken out. But again, it wasn't the director. The director was just shooting the material that he was given. And so I, I can't remember who the writers are on this, if you guys want to uh, look Philip at Philip Eisner and Andrew Kevin Walker. Yeah, so two people that we've never heard from again. 
who obviously had lost everything after this movie. Um, I want to give some credit to him. We kind of alluded to it in the beginning. I think this movie was shot very well. Um, especially the outside of the ship scenes, and on the inside, it looked like a, there was there were it, it kind of was reminiscent of of Alien. Yeah, the, the yeah. dark, especially some of the lighting that was going on, especially through the doorways, and even the main part of the ship. I mean, and, and that's it doesn't take rocket science to want to do that, and I get that because you want to have a dark environment. Anytime you have a horror movie, whether it's on a ship or, or, you know, that's why, you know, Jason's chasing people through the woods at night. It's dark. And it's, there's just, there's a, there's a little freak factor to it. But I, I did like the use of, you know, the ship lighting in this movie. I really want to give credit to Anderson's vision for what he put on the screen, because there was a lot of creative angles and shots in this. It could have been just very basic, you know, shot from the left, shot from the right, back to the left, back to the right. There was a lot of creative visuals to this. And so I do not really take anything away from Paul Anderson because of what he was able to do with what script he was given. And the script tells you what the dialogue is, obviously, in the story and, and, and tells you, you know, what the scene setup should be. So his vision for it, I really appreciated. I actually enjoyed watching the movie. And um, I know we've talked about that before, you know, between watching, you know, watching the movie and, and watching the story are two different things. I liked watching the movie. The story at some point, you know, took precedent, but and, and it kind of went over the edge. But I want to give some credit to the to the director. Um, I do want to trash the writers a little bit because it was a terrible story. But on that end, they did cut a, a you know a significant amount out of the movie. So who knows what that actually did for the overall story? Because yep. re- regardless, yep. in the end, nobody liked the movie anyway. So yep. I don't know if it could have gotten any worse had they kept the extra stuff in. Well, I'll tell you what. One thing I want to bring up is, <clears throat> and a piece of the trivia that was in this, is that the original, and that's why I kept wanting to jump in, because how much gore and everything was in there, the original screening of this in front of the uh, the uh, the rating people they gave it the death kiss. This got an NC-17. And I, I was sitting there thinking to myself, really? What was in there? Because I am now into the first, uh, I well, I've been watching every episode since season one of The Walking Dead. And I'm starting to wonder, <laughs> what in God's name was in this movie that got an NC-17 that I've not seen on AMC in The Walking Dead? <laughs> well, because even more. Or on FX, because if you've seen anything from Sons of Anarchy this season, um, it's it, I'll tell you what, it's it's been horrific. Yeah. And how that's got past the censors on TV. And you're right. But, you know, but I'm going to let Mark jump in before I do. The difference is, look what has happened in 12 years. Or 10, right. whatever it is. Well, that's, years, my, well, that's, my, that's my point. 17 it, years 17 ago. Years. That look, look where we have gone. And, you know, not to get right, wrong, or indifferent on a rant about um, the loosening of standards on TV, uh, because you touched on two of those shows, which absolutely, that is very telling about this would get a, probably a P, an R rating now because of the F-bombs, a couple F-bombs, and some of the gore, which it did. But even if they overhyped it and went to whatever the NC-17 was, it'd probably still get an R rating. That That's reflective more of how things have changed in 17 years versus 
whatever they threw up on the screen. Right. And I wasn't trying to make a moral case between the two or the, you know, one or the other. It, it was just of, you know, of watching, you know, I'm now in, you know, season five, this is five years into the walking dead. And I love that show. Just so you know, folks, well, those guys know I love the walking dead. And I, I just sit there and I think, I can't imagine what the hell Paul W.S. Henderson was going to put in this. I got NC-17 that I'm not watching today on AMC. And it just, it's, it, it's a different age. And yeah. also, I think it, was, it probably was just extremely brutal graphic violence. Oh, my God. Have you watched The Walking Dead lately? <laughs> I, I haven't watched it. It's, I know it's, it's I, out there. I'm going to tell you I, right, I, I'm gonna tell you right I, now. Knows? I was watching the last, cup, the last couple of seasons of season four. I was to the point where I'm like, you know, I don't know if I want to watch any more of the series. There were some very, very uncomfortable scenes that I'm like, well, just Mark said it. I mean, standards have loosened over the past 17 years. I can't yes. imagine that if I, you know, I, I can't imagine in 17 years, there will be no standards. I That's mean, probably I, true. I mean, honestly, I don't no, know. There, 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 will always be, there will always be standards. I mean, you got to look. I mean, you know, look at what you can say on regular primetime TV now as far yeah. as like curse words. Well, what, um, what was it, George Carlin? He had the seven words you couldn't see on TV, and I think say. there's only about two left. There's a big C word. You can't oh, say. Oh, that's yeah. right. You can't say that one either. Okay. Let me know in 17 years if we can say that on TV. <laughs> Actually, that's... I, I want to sort of uh, get away from the, the profanity and violence and just throw out one thing I did like, which I'm kind of repeating something, but I'm kind of tagging off of what Jeff said. But this movie, in my opinion, looks good. They did a lot of thought in setting up the scenes, the lighting and everything. And I like, especially at the beginning, it's got a, you know, a hard science feel. I mean, Mark is right. There is some techno babble and just hand waving and all. But hate to say it, if you're going to explain how some interstellar jump drive works, well, you got to sort of wave your hands and start spouting gibberish. But the look of it, the technology, the suits, the gear, I liked it. I thought it had a real, you know, real near future look. And I will, I have to describe one scene that I really like, and it's that scene where uh, Cooper, uh, uh, Richard T. Jones's character, is stuck on that chunk of debris, and it's just doing what it does, and then he has to deal with it. I just, I can remember back when I first saw that movie, that's one of the, the few things that really like, jumped out at me. I, I just thought that was a great scene. Hadn't really seen anything like that ever before. Is it like totally authentic? Probably not, but it was cool. See, well, again, there, there were times it seemed like he was in his own show. He was in yeah. his own show. But he was, I hate to say it, but he was sort of comic, well, not sort of, he was comic relief. And to me, he was annoying comic relief. I, I, it just was, oh God, this guy, I mean, he, you know, it's the one guy on the ship that's just in totally in love with himself. And I'll tell you what, Ken, of all the scenes in this movie, the one that lost it, I'm like, seriously? Okay, you, you've just been blown, you know, got at that point probably hundreds of kilometers away. Oh, yeah, you're going to use your jetpack. <laughs> Whatever. Hey, I, I got to throw out a, a, a tie for another movie that you like, which is, you know, one, one of my places I go when I'm researching for this show is TV Tropes. 
tvtropes.com. <laughs> uh, okay. tvtropes.org, I'm sorry. And in their description of this movie, one of the tropes they have, I forget the name of it, but it's like, Cooper's character falls into this trope. And so I clicked on the hypertext link to say, okay, what's what's the prime example of this trope? And what you see immediately is a great big picture of Ruby Rod from Fifth <laughs> Element. <laughs> wow. You know what? If he would have been like flying back towards the event horizon doing the Ruby Rod scream, <laughs> I would have been all over that. You know, you know, Steve, I'm surprised you haven't substituted that scream for your Wilhelm scream. And start oh, to use oh, now he will. Actually, okay. I've, I've got another scream I might have to substitute. We're going to get to it when we get to sound clips because, oh, good okay. Lord. You know, one of the things I did like, and they mention it, and you may get it in the trivia, so if I clip you early, my apologies, is, you know, the spacesuits, they created those spacesuits. They weighed 65 pounds. They couldn't, they, they they required the actors to stand up. They The whole magnetic boots, you know, when they're in zero G, those, some of that stuff really looked good. Um, and I at first thought when I watched this movie again, because I hadn't seen it since we went saw it at the theater, was this movie supposed to be in 3D? Because at the beginning, a lot of the, items that are floating in the ship come right towards you. Yeah. And it was not in 3D, but it it really had that look like okay, they they may have thought about shooting it in 3D and it was really well done how those items came right by you and you almost felt like they were going to brush past you. Yeah, it so, set it set a cool mood that you didn't yeah. usually you don't usually encounter, especially back in the nineties. You didn't encounter that feel in a yeah. sci-fi movie. Before we uh, move on, we had talked kind of early on about people that could have like filled in for these roles, and I I, I did like that idea. So I, I just really kind of want to throw that in there and just say, what do you guys think in terms of you know like who would have who do you guys think would have been a good replacement for Lawrence Fishburne today? Uh, well, I mean, even that. Mark I mean, Fishburne. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's a... Well, I, mean, that's I just, have to go straight... I have to, let's not talk about Lawrence Fishburne. Let's go straight to the one I have 100% confidence would be today's actress. And that is Jolie Richardson, who's a gorgeous person. I liked her character. But that would be Mila Hobovich. Oh, dear Lord. Oh. Would you all agree and that I could place money on that if this thing was made by Richard Anderson or Paul W. Anderson today? That would be Mila sitting in that role. So let it be written. So let it be done. All right, Ken, you, you win. Well, um, we could, yeah, I, I think actually if you, you might be onto something there. She probably would be. I, you know, I think somebody that could be, you know, could stand in for Lawrence Fishburne's character now would be um well it would be the captain from the uh the movie prometheus um iteris whatever his name it, is Alba. yes mm-hmm. um i would like to see that but here's the thing if they were to remake this i can tell you tragically who they would have in as as um oh what the hell's his name richard jones richard jones you want to know who they'd have as richard jones they'd have one of the f-ing stupid ass wayne's brothers do it <laughs> Oh, you are so right. And I'm surprised that they didn't get one of those dipshits to do this. They could have gotten them in 97. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It could have been worse. 
Because I was thinking Martin Lawrence. I'd be happy. No. With Martin oh God, no. That I no. That I I don't want to see one of the Wayne's brothers. You know, one of the Wayne's one of the Wayne's sons. Oh, I still love. I'm going to get you, sucker. There are times and places for the right actors. Well, I'll tell you what. I I don't know who I disliked more. If it was uh, Richard T. Jones or Jack Noseworthy, who played Justin. And oh well, that character. Yeah. Uh, okay. Can we get into? Can we get into irrelevant female roles? <laughs> yes. 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 Who, yes. who would play him in a movie? Um, I'm going to guess um, Anne Hathaway. All right. That's that's my guess. No, because his character does, is a minor character. It would not be played if it was recast today. It would be played by a major actor or actress. Yes. Good. Point. It would be some no name. Person, you know, Shia, Shia LaBeouf. Oh, there you go. Oh, there you go. Shia LaBeouf. Shia can pull off Justin. He's got the rel- relevant lack of uh, okay. what it takes. Since we're talking about Justin, all right, here's the problem that I have. And this is not just exclusive to this movie. It's one of those terrible tropes that you have in a movie where, you know, you just would think standard operating procedure is this. If you don't know what it is, don't f***ing touch it. All right. I mean, <laughs> Let me power up the drive court. I know nothing about it, but let's see what happens. Let me put my hand in here. It's not as bad as the, ooh, the the space cobra is in front of me. It's beautiful. I think I'll play with it. Well, this is true, Ken. This is is not that bad, but it's still bad enough. What is this liquid thing in front of me? Let me just put my hand in. Do it! Especially when it's like, what is this liquid thing that looks like the center of Stargate? Right. Yes. And we're and since we can't find the rest of the crew, well, <laughs> let's just well, what harm could come of this? Have we done Stargate yet? <laughs> oh, good lord, we can! <laughs> I actually like that show. Oh, here we go. All right. Well, there. Oh, jeez. Um, now here, you know. All right, let me throw an actor out who could have played the brooding Sam Neill. I think better because he broods better. Would have been Christian Bale. Oh well, now now he could have. Oh, he would. I think do very well. I mean, so, yes, I think have done very well and scary, and scary. Yes, isn't Christian Bale like the guy of like who do we put it? Oh, Christian Bale. Can't you just like put this guy pretty much in anything? I think Christian Bale will do great in this job. Shit, why I not? Don't, Let's get him. I don't know if Christian Bale could pull off a uh, uh, some sort of leading man role in a in a comedy. No, well, I, I, I've got to throw out here, which is I know we're dogging Sam Neill sort of because you guys don't feel like he fits. But going back to what I said, just if this opinion. is truly the shining in space, Jack Nicholson's character didn't come off as I'm dark and brooding and I'm, I'm a I'm a crazed killer. No, oh, at the Jack, beginning, no, no, no. it's like, hey, I'm a, I'm a nice family guy. And, you know, I'm, yeah, oh. I've got my quirks. Hold on. Hold on. Now, Jack yeah. Nicholas never. Has always come off as crazy. That's Jack, so it's Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson was Nicholson. the golfer. No, not the golfer. Yes, yeah. Jack Nicholson. Okay. Just um, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, he no, he's he's. I can name some crazy, crazy golfers, but let's not go there. I can't say that I I was I was I was sold on him being a a family a stable family guy. I mean, you know, he he was just uh, he he kind of had his head tilted to the left for most of the movie. I mean, he was off center. <laughs> So I, I'm not going to say that he was not, you know, kind of a questionable character for that movie. But, yeah. I, you know, I think the thing of it is, is that 
with Sam Neill, I, I agree with you guys. He did not he did not bring that kind of possessed demonic menace that you saw in well, that you guys did not see in Damien uh, or I'm sorry, in Omen three, uh, when he played Damien Thorne. So uh, obviously he has changed throughout his acting career. And yeah, he he did not seem right for the role. So I will agree with you there. I mean, the rest of the characters I liked, I thought they were fine. Uh, you know, the two that I really liked the most, uh, obviously were Lawrence Fishburne, and I thought Jason Isaacs is, and yeah. I just like that guy. He just played a really good, he just played a but really it, good role. But yeah, I mean, he but he's a really good actor in that role. Yes, I mean, those are the two that you actually enjoy. And, you know, we you had mentioned character development, Steve, and there's, this movie does not um, allow time for it because really we're about, I don't know, what do you say, 10, 15 minutes, 15 minutes into the movie, and really we are off to the races. Right. I mm-hmm. mean, and so the character development kind of happens, if there is any, throughout the movie. But there's not, well, you figure out who the dumbasses are pretty quick. So we <laughs> character developed that, I think, right where we needed to. But yeah, but it's unfortunate because I would have liked to have gotten to know some of these characters or feel a little more attachment to them. And that would have, again, set this movie up so that when, you know, uh, Kathleen Quinlan, the med tech, gets whacked. Her her role is wasted. I mean, I like her. I I like her as an actress. I like her character. And all of a sudden she says, okay, you're whacked. Well, you're because you remember your son, but we don't really develop that. So it's like, oh, she's dead. And I will agree with you guys. I think this movie could have been a really good, kind of like an alien psychological thriller, even if you heaped on the blood and the gore that they did. But well, with more, it, again, with more, I mean, with more explanation and character building, I've said it again and again. I mean, how many movies have we viewed, how many movies have we talked about where, we know that they chopped all sorts of stuff out. The, right. you know, the, the directors are complaining about it. But all we can see is what we see. Right. Uh, well, anyway, guys, let's move on to one of our favorite parts of the show. And hey, that but, is... but, but before you go, oh. I've got one part that you told me last time you'd like to start putting in these things. Oh, what was that? I can't remember. That's what other movies were playing at the time. Oh, yeah. I can't do that. Shoot it. Yeah. Well, here it goes. <laughs> Muncie, quit laughing. You weren't even here. I'm nothing if not a good subordinate. Yeah. You are the boss yeah. and yeah. I deliver. That Top thing. 10 movies of 1997. Number one, by a long, long shot, like three times the box office of anything else, Titanic. Uh-huh. Number two, The Lost World, Jurassic Park, which I liked. I like dinosaur movies. Number three, Men in Black, a classic. Number four, Tomorrow Never Dies, Bond movie. Number five, Air Force One. Number six, As Good As It Gets. Number seven, Liar Liar. Number eight, My Best Friend's Wedding. And this is for Steve. Number nine, The Fifth Element. Lilu Dallas Multipass. And finally, number 10, The Full Monty. I'll tell you what, the first five that you mentioned, now you know why this movie got buried. 
those are, those are all movies that we all went right out to see. I know I went and saw Air Force One with Mark. Yeah, yeah, we saw uh, it. it was, and those were all summer movies, as I recall. And this movie came out in late summer, if memory serves me. Yep. So it was up against tough competition. Yeah, this came yeah. out in August of '97. So yeah, it was it was going to get crushed when this one came out. So they obviously were thinking this was going to be a contender, and it didn't do it. Well, Ken, thank you very much for that because I yeah I do want to include that into the uh, show. I think it's important to put some of these movies into perspective, you know, see, especially the more modern ones, the ones that we can relate to. But I, I do like that, so thank you very much. All right, where was it? Oh yeah, that's right. We are going to our favorite part of the show, and that is brother, what you drinking? Since he's been um, away on matters of state, I'm sure Jeff has some uh, fantastic brews that he's going to bring to us today. Sure no, the... just Guinness. That's it. That's it? That's it. Christ, I thought on a school night you'd be drinking, like, something really, really harsh and strong like uh, Dr. Pepper. Just Guinness. Not this drink a Guinness. Yeah, this movie doesn't deserve a special beer. Zing. <laughs> All right, uh, Mr. Mister Slover, what do you got there, buddy? Well, to get through the movie, I mean, the podcast, I mean, the movie. Oh, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> All the above. All the above. D. All the above. <laughs> <laughs> I broke out a new bourbon that I um have been wanting to try, and it's called Noah's Mill. It's a small batch bourbon made down here in the hills of Kentucky, out of Bardstown. Um, it's 57.15 alcohol by volume, which means it's 114 proof. Uh, it's a 15-year-old bourbon. It's a very – it's a very uh, – Nice, soft uh, flavor, very well-balanced. Um, you really can't pull out one, whether it's wheat or corn or rye, you can't really pull one of those out as definitive. It's just a very nice, um, very, very nice bourbon, nice blend. Um, you know, it's it's a small batch, so it it's it, you just take your time and you just enjoy sipping on it. It's just, it doesn't burn, it doesn't have a rough, back end or or front end it's just very soft very mellow um a very nice bourbon that's helped me get through this movie all right guys i'm gonna do a quick one here i uh picked this one up i didn't see it uh, on my travels when i was out in uh, california i was in the san diego airport and actually uh had a uh, magnificent lunch and a couple of really good beers from my good and dear friends at the Stone Brewing Company. All the beer that they had there was uh, from the Stone Brewery. And had a, I sampled a couple of good ones there. But <clears throat> when I got home, I went to my local liquor establishment, uh, the one that has an amendment with a two and a one in it. Twelfth Amendment? Uh, yeah, that one too. Anyway, I picked this one up from uh, my friends at the Stone Brewing Company, and it's called, I'm going to, and they actually have it spelled phonetically because obviously you either have to be Albanian or somewhere from the Baltic states to, uh, or Balkan states to read this thing. So it's it's pronounced Shokoviza. It's X-O-C-O-V-E-Z-A. And I thought the Poles had the monopoly on consonants. So there you go. And uh, it's a uh, it's a mocha stout, and Jeff, I highly recommend Ooh. that I highly mm-hmm. recommend you run out and get one of these or six. That sounds good. Yes, it is an ale brewed with cocoa, coffee, peppers, vanilla, cinnamon, and nutmeg. 
peppers and nutmeg. Yeah. Uh, guys can't recommend it enough. How is it a big bottle? Oh, it's a big boy. There you go, guys. Uh, I highly recommend this one. Again, the name is Shoko Va, or I'm sorry, Shoko Veza. That kind of like Kaiser Soze. That would be a great name for a beer. Kaiser Soze! <laughs> that's a, that's a great movie we've there, never done. We that have is. to get that on the show. How have we not done that yet? All right. I blame Mark. I do too. Okay. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I still love you. All right. <laughs> and last and certainly not least. It's now time for Catching Up with Ken. All right, Ken, talk to us. I know you guys live vicariously through me, and I, I, I aim to please, I aim to deliver, to give you guys something to be jealous and resentful of, but I'm failing this week. Uh, had budgets due at work, and it's just been a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, didn't get out and do much since our last meeting uh, last Friday, but I can give you a plug for uh, one thing that I was kind of excited about. Uh, that was Saturday. I was, you know, running my mom around doing stuff, and you know, we went and got lunch at Chick Fil A of all places. And then I was, you know, at her did place. Play, did you play in the play area? Did you get stuck in the? Play? No, because they actually have a sign there that says you cannot be any taller than this line to play in the play area, and I sadly am taller. Is that five foot seven inch? Uh, I'm not going to mention people in this podcast that might be able to legally get in there, but it's not me. They have never kicked me out. I uh, had a nice Chick-fil-A combo and, you know, went home to help my mom balance her checkbook. And I got a text from a friend of mine saying, hey, I'm I'm, going to go down to Nine Irish Brothers and get, you know, lunch. You want to join me? And I answered the only logical thing, which is, well, you know, I just had lunch. I'm not hungry, but I'll, I'll I'll join you for a beer. And for those of you that don't know, Nine Irish Brothers is a in is a local Indiana chain. Comes out of Lafayette, Indiana, if I understand. And it's actually owned by nine Irish American brothers. They're, the family is setting up. You know, they've had some success in the uh, bar slash pub business, and they've been expanding and adding new locations. And this is one they've added uh, down on Massachusetts Avenue. And it is very reminiscent of your basic Irish pub bar. Uh, you know, they do a pretty good job of recreating the atmosphere. They've got your standards like fish and chips, shepherd's pie, uh, things of that sort. Some of the staff is run around in kilts, you know, stuff like that. I like it. It's a cool little place. Nice addition. But uh, she saw on the menu that they had something called the Fisherman's Pie. And when she asked what it was, it's basically a shepherd's pie made with fish in a cream sauce instead of the usual meat sauce. And so she got it. And I said, you know, well, you get a small one because, you know, I've already eaten. They have big portions here. She said, no, I'm going to get the, the, the gigantic large portion her exact words are, because he's a guy, and he'll eat anything. And she knows me well, because she <laughs> ate about half of it, and I ate half of it. And I can report the fisherman's pie is very good. It's Again, it's 
basically, I think cod and a cream sauce with peas, carrots, and potato, mashed potatoes, some cheese, nicely seasoned, very good. I was knocking it down with a harp, a couple, mm. couple of glasses of harp, which is a nice light, as you know, light beer goes with a lot of eating heavy food, eating a light beer is good. So I can put in a plug for Nine Irish Brothers. That's about it for my life. I am going to be trying a new restaurant slash bar tomorrow night that features barbecue and moonshine. All right, folks, that is it with uh, Brother What You Drinking and Catching Up with Ken. We are now going to move on to clips. Clips, our favorite part of the show. And I picked out some clips, guys, here because these are the ones that I kind of got chuckles out of them, and some of them were, you know, the clips that annoyed me. And the first one here is one of the clips that annoyed me. And I call this the rhyme. They do this in, I think, a million movies. I can't tell you which movie it's ever been done in. It just seems like it's done a lot. And that's where they try to become Dr. Seuss to sound cool. And it just really grates on my nerves. So without further ado, I'm just going to play the clip. You'll get what I mean. Do you know the rules, people? Someone drops the ball, we get the call. Now, let's go. So you got a course plotted in? Yes, sir. Locked and cocked and ready to rock. Mr. Justin. Everything's green on my screen, Skipper. Start your countdown now. Ugh, really? Is that supposed to be cool? It's not cool. It's stupid. Where was green eggs and ham? Okay? God. But Maybe bro, it's just their issues, team is so bonded, issues. they just have their own way of talking. Oh, You're right. God. They should have said five yeah. by five. You're right. Oh, because what the f- f- does that mean anyway? I really, seriously, can somebody help hey, me out what five hey, by five means? Why not hey, six by ten? Hey, four by four? That's Oh, I'm sorry. That's a piece of wood. Forty-six and two. What does that mean, five by five? I mean, I is no that idea. a military term? Because somebody help me out. It's Captain Dyer now. You know. Yeah, Captain Five Barrow. by five. <clears throat> yeah. What does that mean? Five by five. I know. I know that. Uh, oh shoot. Uh, it's an aeronautical term for yes, radio. Yes. Yes. No. Is that it's, it? You measure on a scale of one to five. Oh, okay. When you say five by five. That means you're. See, Steve. So, so maybe, hurdy gurdy or whatever they're saying is is it means something. <laughs> okay. I just. All right. Number two. Is this necessary? When the ion drive fires, you'll be taking about 30 Gs. Without a tank, the force will liquefy your skeleton. See the effect on life. Can, can we talk about things that annoy you in a movie? Let me list a couple. That right there, the, the narration of stuff that should be like in, I don't know, Space Travel 101. Like, you don't go outside into space without your suit on because this is what happens, right? So this stuff doesn't need to be narrated again for your average Joe that, that's, that's you know, in a ship. I know it's for us, but it's annoying. <clears throat> okay, I call this one not a Wilhelm scream, and I think it's probably the worst male scream in any movie I've ever heard. As a matter of fact, <laughs> this scream is actually kind of uncomfortable. I'm thinking something bad was going on in cell block D. Just I, I thought I thought then what I'd hear after that scream is sorry guys I had to take a crap. Well, sorry, you know I'm just thinking maybe that Jeff didn't say anything, so I thought maybe that's a common sound in the Muncie house. Who knows? I'm just well, 
<clears throat> All right. I'm, just, I'm sorry. Look, my bathroom routines are really not for public discussion. Okay. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Number four. This is the year 2047. All forms of sexual harassment are back in fashion. What about you, Stark? You like something hot and black inside you? Oh, is that an offer? It is not. Then I'll put some coffee then. Silence. No one appreciated my joke prior to that. It's. I thought it was a good observation. I did too. It just goes to show that you know everything comes around. Gamergate will put all that to rest. You know, I don't even want to know what that is, and I don't care. So, in 2047, sexual harassment will be mandatory, not forbidden. <laughs> yeah, That's just the way these hey, things work. You wait you long enough, what? everything comes around opposite. All right, <clears throat> let's see. Number five. This is uh, where we're going to learn a little Latin. That's like liberate me. Something I don't come out the rest. Liberate me. Save me. And you know what I liked about throughout this movie? You always heard the ship in the background. The engines, that humming, buzzing. I always think that's good that they throw that in there. There are a lot of things that are done right in this movie. Yeah. Like I said, it's a hard, in some ways, it's a hard science movie. It's just hard science with all sorts of Hellraiser-ish, Cthulhu-ish horror laid on top of it. Right. All right, next one. Very carefully here. That is not a load-bearing structure. It's now, Doctor. It's now. <laughs> <laughs> Let's crush the antenna array. Good job, dumbass. Well, they weren't planning on taking this shit. We won't need that. Yeah, well, they they were planning on hanging around. Yeah. This this is a crack train crew. All right? Yeah, yeah. Sure are. All right. Uh, next one. Smitty, have you seen anything unusual at all? No, I haven't seen anything, and I don't need to see anything, sir, but I can tell you. This shit is Well, thank you for that scientific analysis, Mr. Smith. Smartest guy on the ship right there. Yep. 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 Well, there are times in this movie where, that I mean, you, you can talk what you want about people wandering off and all these horror movie tropes coming in. But there's several times where the characters, they, okay, this is, this is what's going on. This is what we got to do. Basically, let's get the hell out of here. But the thing of it is, is that it goes back to, or, or there was a couple that had a pretty good idea what was going on, and Stark was one. I mean, she tried to explain to, you know, uh, Miller what was happening. He's like, yeah, whatever. And even when uh, Jason Isaacs, you know, talked to him about it, he's like, man, eh, you don't believe that stuff. So the whole idea of everybody splitting up, well, I, they, if you don't believe in that kind of stuff, what are you afraid of? So, guys, I just want to throw this one out here real quick. This is a sound effect that they got from my grade school. When we had, when we had a fire alarm, it sounded a lot like this. All right, station speaker. And that's what my teacher said. I, I had to pull that because the fire alarm in my school sounded exactly like that. It was horrifying. I immediately started running to the door as soon as I heard it. <laughs> so, did you form a neat line? <laughs> Considering I was the only one in line, I didn't have to. I just kept going. All right, uh, number number whatever. If what Doctor Wade tells us is true, this ship has been beyond the boundaries of our universe, of known scientific reality. Who knows where it's been? 
what it's seen and what it's brought back with it. All right, and last and certainly not least, I have no idea what this one is either because I <clears throat> was drinking when I did these quotes, so. Can't leave. She won't let you. You just get your gear and get back on the Lewis and Clark doctor or you'll find yourself walking home. I am home. It's at that point there somebody should have said, okay, let me show you the airlock because we're getting the fuck out of here. <laughs> you can stay with your happy ship. I, yep. I'm i like, all right, somebody needs to put a gun to this. Okay, at, at that comment, Marines, we are we are leaving. Yeah. And this guy is 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 going to go down for the count. Yeah. Guys, before we jump on, there's one thing that I did want to mention that I thought was kind of cool in this movie. And even at this point, you didn't see it a lot. Smoking is back in fashion. Yes. Yeah. Which again bothers me in a spaceship. They've got good. Yeah, the Russians do it in subs all the time still. Yeah, so. I was like going to say. say. Yeah, they got good ventilation. All right, there we go. That is it with uh, clips, our favorite part of the show. So, gentlemen, it is now time to move on to the Man Cave Movie Review Checklist of this great and fantastic film. Number one. <laughs> Did anyone jump through a window? Cooper whacked into a window, which then blew up and blew him away. He well, didn't go Sam, through it. Sam Neill got blown through it when the... Ooh! Sam yes. Neill got, because of his trying to shoot Fishburne's character, or no, Cooper's character through the window or whatever. He yeah, gets, he, he went through the window. Okay, uh, number two. If you want him, come and claim him. Was there a Liv Tyler role in this movie? Justin. Yep. <laughs> yep. Pretty much. Uh, all right. Number three. <laughs> Was there a Wilhelm scream in this movie? <laughs> Screams, yes. Wilhelm's particular uh -huh. scream, no. <laughs> Yeah, is this what we're going to do every time we, we watch a movie? If we have a scream, we're going to insert it there? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think I can handle it. Oh, my God. But, but you know, for this one, it was appropriate. You have to admit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm. Okay. Yes, it's such. Yeah, he does that same type of yarring in Jurassic Park, too. Yep. Okay. Uh, All right. Next. All right, could the female role be better played by Tony Katane? Well, we had um, two real female roles and one that was irrelevant, so what do you think, guys? I don't know. I guess she could have been. I don't think Tawny fits in this movie. If you ripped could... her eyes out. Oh, oh my God. Jesus Christ. <laughs> she looked like Sam Neill? I agree. <laughs> yes. Oh, God. All right, next one. Was there a montage in this movie? Not really. I was trying to think of one, and I never saw one. I never saw a montage. So there's there was a very, very slight montage moment when the captain said, okay, we're getting out of here, you know, and the, the various people were running around gathering parts and – yeah, but you know, they, they tried to imply a lot of activity in a short couple of little scenes. 
but I wouldn't call it a montage. Yeah, I don't count that one. All right, so no montage. Thank God, because that would have ruined this great and fantastic film. All right, last and certainly not least. And so it begins. Was there a B5 reference in this movie? Um, no. Nothing? Well, there was there was exactly 12 people in this movie. So, no, there, none of the 12 people that were on the screen were actors in Babylon 5. That should not be hard to understand. Okay. All right. Um, so well, Here's a question, though. It's numbers. It's all numbers, Steve. The, I, again, my it's research math. at tvtropes.org let me off on one little tangent. And I'll just throw out, do the ships in this movie remind you of B-5 ships? They do, and thank you, Ken. When the look. Yes. Oh, wait. Do you mean like the movie? The ones they remind me of of ships from the movies, the Babylon Five movies, but not of the show. Which ones? Would you, which ones on the show do you think they remind you of? I'm not. I'm not saying any particular one. Just a general feel or look. Oh well, yeah. Okay. Actually, you know what? You know, I can't. You know what? It just hit me. Ken's right. You know what the Event Horizon looked like? It looked like the Explorer ship. Okay. Kind of. Now, I will say, I did like the uniforms. It was jumpsuits, but believable. They didn't have that spaceman spiff look that a lot of stuff goes for. They were utilitarian, but military, if you if you see Air Force type of uh, zip-up, pull-up uniforms, they, they had that look about them, and I like that. It is sad to see that in 30 years we will still be dealing with with very loud keyboards in our spaceships. Mm-hmm. I would have thought by then we were using some sort of optical device to operate everything, but apparently they will still be using that, Well, you know, we go back, you know, just like smoking and sexual harassment. Oh, it's nostalgia or surplus, yeah. one of the two. That's my, that's my story. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, before we completely lose half of our <laughs> listening audience who uh, joined us. It's my us, job, Steve. Yeah. It's my job. It is your job, Jeff. Thank you very much. All right, folks, that is, uh, we're done with the, the checklist. We are going to go on to the Man Cave Mover View of this great and fantastic film. All right, guys, who wants it? Jeff? Fine. All right, this movie. <laughs> not going to bat this ping pong ball around anymore. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, twist your arm, dude. Go for it. Uh, I, I stuff. Yeah. Anyway, in three, two, one. All right, hey, thanks, Steve. Um, you know this movie. Um, it, it it it's you take the good, you take the bad, and you take them both, and there you have the event horizon. At first glance, and well, really throughout the movie, it, the visuals, the photography, the direction, I think, stand up very well throughout the movie. I think it's very well handled. The script. I want to be a little bit lenient because th- there were extra hands that got involved in this and, and mucked it up. Um, but what we have in front of us, I think, was, uh, was, it was a good premise, as I said at the outset, that, um, that, that got derailed, as a lot of Hollywood movies do, about two-thirds of the way through there. Um, there wasn't enough time for us really to explore, I think, what was going on. Once we started figuring it out, um, you know, the movie kind of rushed into it, and, and, that, and that was too bad. Most of the characters over a little about 
a little more than 51% of them do a solid job in this movie. Fishburne, um, Isaac, and, and the female actors in this movie do a good, very good job, I think. In my opinion, a couple of them are miscast. You had a, you know one in there for comedic value that just it fell flat, forced at times. Didn't really, didn't really get it. Did like the actor, just didn't like his um, the the way that they had set him up. I think for failure. But again, I, I lay that at the feet of the uh, of the writers. The music is well done and mirrored with the the scenes in this movie. It sets the tone so well that in in key points in the movie really gets you unnerved, and I really really like that. But for me, Sam Neill as as the uh, as the Grim Reaper, not something I can get behind. And and the reveal, I guess, is is ju- it just kind of falls flat. I don't know how else to explain it. Uh, but to me, this is a movie. If it if it actually came on TV this next couple of weeks, I would stop and watch it again just because I really enjoyed watching the movie. Um, and, and the, and the way that they had staged the events, I think it's, there's a lot of things, a lot of good things that are working here. I actually think there are more positives than there are negatives, but the negatives are pretty, are pretty hefty. And, and so I, I'm thinking it's more like a 70, 30 mix, 70% good, 30% bad. And because I think it's a 70, 30, I'm going to give this movie a seven. Nice. Like it guys. Any like quick thoughts? I'm not going to rate it that high um, because I, I've given my opinion. I think it could have been much better handled, and I think it just becomes a mess near the end. And I'm going to downgrade it a whole point to a six. It just – I'm more on the 60-40 scale. I just find it to be a six. Ken, what do you think? It's better than Prometheus, but <laughs> – I was, I was about to say what Mark said. Oh, <laughs> when Prometheus came – I mean, what did we give Prometheus? Like a two – Two, three, four, five, something. Uh, yeah. When I was gearing up to you know watch it, I was going in sort of pre-decided. I was going like, I remember this movie. I didn't like it that much. I'm probably going to give it about a five or a six. But then when I look at what it is and I pay attention to the good it has versus the weaknesses, which we have pounded all over here, and I also get it what they were trying to do. Again, they're trying to do, you know, shining in space. And, you know, okay, that's something that's not really been done, I don't think, and it's kind of unique. I liked a lot of the, again, the visuals, the music, the sets, um, the character. I mean, the actors, yes, they may not be developed as much as I would like, but we got a, a pretty strong cast here. So I'm going to fall in the moderate middle, and I'm not going to give it a seven. I'm not going to give it a six. I'm going to give it a six point five. Okay, fence rider. Yeah, fence rider. I'm going to go with Jeff. I'm going to give this movie a pretty solid seven. I think. Yeah, yeah I think it's. Uh, was that a Wilhelm scream? That was. That was a. That was a. Well, scream. Actually, that's a Muncie scream. We're going to have to that's, get that. I'm. We're going to have to record that, Chief. We got to get that out there. No. So, no, I'm going to give this a solid seven. I think as. Uh, sci-fi horror movies go, I think this one's pretty solid. And I think it's because a lot of them, you don't see a lot of these type of movies out there. 
yeah, it's got some shortcomings. Yeah, there's you know some serious plot holes and issues like that. But I think overall, it's a very entertaining movie. I really did like this one. I'm not going to give it as high as obviously Alien or The Thing or anything like that because they're just a they're in a whole level above themselves. But again, folks, this is not a genre that's really tapped into. And the the stuff that you do see out there is like literally made for video, and it's uh, the actors are hey you you want to be in a movie that's the quality you get. So you know there's one other movie out there that I saw, and this is really years ago, and it's pretty good. There's a couple of people that you might recognize in it, and it's that sci-fi horror thing a little bit along this concept. It's called Dark Side of the Moon. It's a great album, and I mean, yeah, it's yeah. wonderful, wonderful. And it's a great album, but it's also, there's actually a movie out there. It's called Dark Side of the Moon. Go check it out. I highly recommend oh, it. a movie. Okay. A movie, yes, movie. Go check it out. You might enjoy it. You never know. Kind of along these same lines, as a matter of fact, I almost, now that I'm looking back, I almost wonder if the writer stole the whole concept from this movie. Now that I think about it, I think he did. Anyway. Yeah, I give it a solid seven. Go see it. You won't be disappointed. Well, but, you know, I think that this movie, I mean, again, the premise is, I think, really workable as far as for another movie. That if somebody wanted to pick this up or maybe do, hell, I don't know, I dare I say a prequel or sequel or something, um, that there's, there's room to run with this. In the right hands. Yeah, I think it is. And I think there could have been some better writing, some better directing. I I, I mean, I think Paul W.S. Anderson, I think, does some good work. This one, again, he's still in his freshman year on doing directing. So I'm going to cut him some slack on this one. But, again, folks, I think it's a solid movie. You know, for me, a seven, go go see it. You're not going to be disappointed. So there you go. All right, folks, that is it with the Man Cave Mover Review of this great and fantastic film. Check us out at our website at mancavemoviereview.com and look for us on iTunes at Man Cave Movie Review and leave us a comment and tell us if you like the show or didn't like it. You can find us on Facebook at Man Cave Movie Review and at Twitter at Man Cave Movie. And real quick, folks, uh, for those of you out there that have uh, sent us some emails about the T-shirts, we're getting all of that information sent over to the Vice President of Logistics. Uh, that would be Herr Klopek, and he will be... <laughs> I'm sorry, that department is closed. So he'll be... I thought that was people's commissar for procurement. Yeah. No, that that's, this is Uber Sturmbahnfuhrer for <laughs> I, supply and commissariat. Well, you know, I never know. The, the titles change as governments change around here. So I anyway. just call him crap game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, the yeah. Deal, I'm, Hey, maybe he's a Republican. It's yeah. a deal deal. Yeah, so for those of you who have uh, sent in emails for T-shirts, I'll be getting all that info over to uh, Crap Game, and we'll be in contact with you, how to do payments, and I know a lot of you guys have sent addresses, so we're going to be fine there. And so, there'll be one more reminder sent out this weekend, because I want to wrap this up and get the order in by the end of the month. So okay. I'll send one more reminder out and wait till literally October 31st and then place the order. Right. Okay. So we'll be good there. All right. So that's it, folks. Uh, that is it with episode 129. Until next week, we're going to have a really good scary movie. 
And I, we're still going to hope Jeff is going to be here for this because uh, his wife had to pull him out from under the bed to come to this show for this one. I've been sleeping with the lights on and <laughs> a loaded gun, a loaded shotgun. It's yeah, it's been it's just been rough. It's been terrible. All right. So until next week, I am your host, Steve Michael, signing off with my very good and dear friend, Mark. Someone keep an eye out for Muncie. Slow. We created the Man Cave movie review to review movies, but it's gone much, much farther than that. It's torn a hole in our universe. A gateway to another dimension. A dimension of pure chaos. That's a pretty good intro for this show from now on. I think that's <laughs> yeah. outstanding. Pretty truthful. Especially if they heard the unedited version of the show. All right. <laughs> and also saying farewell, and also saying farewell, Aduna Vida Zan, as our other good and dear friend Ken, they told me there would be no Latin in this movie. Roni. I think that if Mark had his way, we would be just blowing this movie apart with tack missiles. <laughs> here, here. Until we're sure it was dead. Absolutely. Which I thought was a great quote. <laughs> yep. I agree. All right. Last and certainly not least, back from his travels on matters of state, Jeff Baby Bear Munson. <laughs> Baby Bear? <laughs> Miss that part in the movie? I did miss that part. He must have missed. Oh, oh shit, baby bear! That was also a little uncomfortable for me. (laughs) Yeah, and highly trained professionals calling each other mama bear and baby bear. (laughs) Mercy out. All right, all right, folks. That's it with the man cave movie review episode one twenty nine. See you next week. Until then, ciao.